Hello and good evening. Um, great to have your support. Thank you very much for joining. What is our 10th Safari talk? We started this talk about nine months ago. Well, we're nine months into the year, but we started these seven, seven months ago. So we've been racing along and uh, we've managed to get together with so many people across the world in different countries. And it's been a great way to be able to reconnect and talk about what's happening on the ground on, on, with our safaris but also just to get an insight into what's happening in people's lives back home. Uh, we're very grateful for this platform that we've been able to share. And in fact, um, uh, joining me this evening, uh, one of our guests is Juliet, um, who joined us on our third Safari Talk. Uh, I'm very happy to have her again. And uh, the purposes of today's talk, of course, is just to kick back and say seven months ago, where were we? And where are we um, seven months later after the lockdown? Um, I'm very pleased that this is going to be a lot more of a positive conversation um, and, and, and hopefully a conversation that speaks into the positivity that's around at the moment as we see uh, borders starting to open up, particularly East Africa being the pioneers of this opening and that coming down to Southern Africa. But um, before we go into it, uh, perhaps for those that don't know who I am, my name is Bexel Lobo. I'm the founder and CEO of African Bush Camps, a safari company that operates Safari camps in Zimbabwe, Botswana, and Zambia. We've been operating safaris, this is our 16th year, and um, we were meant to launch actually our 16th camp back in June, quite late within Botswana, which um, we're all itching to be able to travel and then open up our doors, and uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but it's very encouraging uh, to see the different countries opening up. And I guess the question uh, that we want to get into today is how will travelers expect to explore the world post the pandemic? Uh, hence, I'll continue to talk on the future of travel. Um, I want to introduce you to Juliet, rather reintroduce you to Juliet, um, who really is an adventure at heart. And I would describe her as, as being a sustainable luxury travel expert. Um, her current role is that she is a sustainability editor at Condé Nast um, and a founding editor of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Juliet, before I go on um, uh, rolling out your very colorful CV, this role of sustainability editor, that's a new role, am I right? Yes, it is. I think I'm actually the first sustainability editor of any Condé Nast publication. So I just have to tell you, I'm a guest at the moment in a really wonderful place called Forest. So if you hear a bit of background noise, there are other guests here and it's, it's lovely to be somewhere that I would really recommend. Um, so in terms of, gosh, I mean, how times have changed at the very beginning uh, when we first spoke, I think you say we're more positive or optimistic now. It's, it's more that we were just, we just didn't know what was happening back then. I mean, it was inconceivable. Right. And, you know, you see, I see comments popping up saying that people are, are um, you know, uh, are still worried that travel will never be the same. But um, I think, you know, humans, human beings are pretty resilient. We will find a way through this. It will never be the same. But you asked thank me about sustainability. Thank goodness, by the way. Thank goodness that it won't be the same. I certainly hope you it's know, not going to be I agree. I agree. And because it's, sh it's shone a light on people like you and what you're doing. And in terms of sustainability, it's not even about sustainability. It's not about keeping things the way they are. It's about doing things better. So, um, you know, let, who knows? We, we can only balance idealism and realism. So thanks so much. And, and look at Alice and, 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 you know, what you're doing in, term, in terms of, again, the conversation being amplified about what I consider to be the good guys in travel. 
That's great, uh, Julia. Thank you very much for that. And um, uh, I'll introduce uh, Alice, um, who's one of our strategic partners in the UK and works for a tour operator called Adbox Safaris. Um, she really is an adventurer too and has got a background, obviously, um, in, in being submerged in nature. Uh, you did geology uh, to begin with as a first degree and then went into bed science. Um, and then you decided that actually you want to become an adventure in this part of the world um, and help out with setting up safari camps, horse riding safaris. And you're back in the UK promoting travel to places like Africa uh, where your passion really lies. Um, so, so Alice, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to our 10th session of Safari Talk. Really great to see you this evening. And we look forward to hearing from you um, about any guests uh, that you have at the moment that have been had this pent up energy and just want to get out and travel. Um, it's quite exciting. I was talking to another uh, tour operator, I think it must have been about four weeks ago, um, who had their first client go to Tanzania. Now, this is a tour operator that sends thousands of people during the course of the year to Africa. And their first client, this one client going to Tanzania was so much excitement because it was a new leap um, after this uh, whole shutdown pretty much of the whole world. Um, so so before we go to you, Alice, and uh, tell us a bit more background about yourself, Julia, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit more of, I mean, you're staying in this wonderful place right now. This is, this is the story of your life. Could you maybe let us in a little bit into what it is that you do and, and this very important role that's actually emerged from Conan Ask. Um, I think if you could maybe talk, like me, I'm sure you believe that we're in such a world now where we want to be able to talk about travel, tell our stories in a very different form, because we believe that it's time to shape a different narrative with travel, hence the new position around sustainability. Could you maybe give us a bit more background, what your day job, Definitely. What your day job is, and, and what you hope absolutely to in this particular role? Full disclosure, because I am somewhere very beautiful, I will just show you, okay? <laughs> uh, oh, can you see? I think they thought I work here, so they were trying to order drinks while I was talking to you. <laughs> so it was a bit distracting. That's the downside of doing web webinars and, and not being in an actual studio. So I was like, politely, I don't work here. <laughs> anyway, so in terms of sustainability in my new role, um, you know, it's about storytelling. And I think this time has been you know, a, a great time we've really valued. I think storytelling became such a buzzword last year in terms of marketing. But I think this time, you know, we've really needed those stories, that exchange of stories between us. I've been reading your press releases, but really they're stories about what you've been doing. And I think that travel magazines realize that the importance and the significance of these stories, it's not just been about sort of sharing information. It's about communicating uh, significant messages, meaningful messages, and um, really making people feel something, because that's the only way we're going to build back better, is if people, re it really resonates what needs to be done. And so for me, specifically as a sustainability writer and sustainability editor of Conan Us Traveller, um, it's been wonderful to finally be able to talk about the things I think matter, but hopefully in an entertaining way. Whereas a couple of years ago, honestly, the travel editor, I won't say which major newspaper in the UK, was like, Juliet, no, no one cares about sustainability, not me, not our readers, honestly. So that was only two years ago. So here we are um, sharing really what I, I consider to be important stories, but in what I call is uh, edutainment. So educating people, but not preaching, not wagging fingers and entertaining them. And that's that's what we can do, you know. And in terms of Aardvark Safaris, you know, the, the stories that come through to me about what you're doing, it's not just about room size or just the hardware. It's about really these incredible experiences. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. We very much have to focus on the experience and not the rooms and that kind of thing. So yeah, 100%. Uh, go ahead, Alison, and perhaps tell us what um, your day job actually looks like um, today. And uh, I mean, I'm sure that you're fielding a whole host of questions from people that are interested in traveling. Um, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit more about that and maybe uh, highlight to us if there's any guest traveling uh, of yours at the moment, where they're going um, and, and what the atmosphere is around their travels? Yeah, well, I'm um, one of the co-owners of Arvark Safaris. I've been doing this job for, well, the, the company's 21 years old. And my first job was about 22 years ago in Zimbabwe and Zambia. Actually, my, one of my first jobs, I worked with another member of African Bush Council, Sean Stanley, on, on Chetty Island on Lake Kariba, quite a long time ago right. now. And um, yeah, we are seeing people, um, the day job has changed um, from being non-stop, uh, we were, you know, things were flying, as you know, in February and delivering a lot of very good holidays. It came to a grinding halt in, in March. And then you were dealing with um, postponements, some cancellations, some changes of plan. But actually, we were bowled over by the kindness of clients, incredible staff here in, on the ground in the UK, but also on the ground in Africa. And the ease at which we could deliver 96% postponements to next year. And that really has come from the industry really gelling together and working with the right partners, delivering the right terms and conditions to keep everybody happy and flowing and making sure that anti-poaching still happens on the ground and that kind of thing. Um, so the day job is very different. But in the last three or four weeks, I would say we have seen some pretty good um inspiring people wanting to go again i feel like we're in a, we're in um we have three different types of roles we are looking after the clients who were due to travel this year who've had to postpone we're dealing with very last minute clients we had a guy on monday to, who booked and traveled and left on tuesday and he was just like i've had enough i want to go you know let me and he went to kenya so he's there at the moment and then we also have people who have taken time so in terms of trends for the future of travel, the, the third group are what we're looking at because they are taking time to plan. They are taking, you know, sometimes we're doing it on Zoom calls, sometimes we're meeting them. It's taking two, up to two months to get their itinerary together. They're going in depth about the camps that we're suggesting. And then they are looking to stay for longer in, in less countries. So they're not hopping around East Africa anymore, or Southern Africa, they're going to one country and doing four or five nights rather than two or three nights that sort of so we're seeing that shift now which is which is good i have to say alice hearing you say that alice that's so i'm hard. so glad to hear that me too. um <laughs> me too just saying i'm happy to hear that too <laughs> it's um you know one of the things that as a business of african bush camps um we we're putting in place as part of the changes is we are, as we're going to 2021, 2022 bookings, uh, encourage people to actually have much longer stays in one place so that they can have a really deep and meaningful experience. I mean, uh, when we saw in what we've seen in the past, people going to a place just for two nights, um, it really doesn't give people uh, that much time to get really deep into understanding the local communities, the cultures, and the issues at hand around the wildlife. So when you talk about uh, those travelers that are looking at doing a substantial amount of research, we actually encourage that. I heard these amazing statistics not so long ago that uh, if you had to measure 
somebody's sort of excitement levels uh, from the time that they plan their trip to the time that they travel, it actually peaks during the time when they're planning their travel, oh, yes. um, which is quite exciting. But, but what that speaks into, uh, hopefully with the amount of information available, and this is what we're trying to promote, is that you really have to choose very carefully, first of all, which operator you work with, especially yourself. And understanding and who are you working with in terms of people on the ground that are making the right decisions and doing the right things in order to be responsible and make sure that we are highlighting the issues uh, or the challenges that we have in our areas. And, and but also being custodians of our environment, which really will lead to us having these places in deficit. Um, and I like that concept because what we actually want is we want every time people to come on their safari to be fully engaged and understand and be very open to having the conversation about the issues that are quite critical to the survival of our future. Um, and, and certainly um, it's been a great pleasure working with you guys um, in, in the past few years uh, already uh, in terms of being able to, to have those conversations by the way, with your guests. So thank you very much for highlighting that. I, I mean, I have a question. The people that are traveling right now, are you seeing an immediate spike in order to travel today? Or do you think that more of a long-term sort of perspective, people saying, actually, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to be able to travel right now. I would rather travel, you know, book my trip for two years' time. What are you seeing? Or do you think this is going to vary over the next few months? I think everybody is very different. And I think we have some younger travellers who are footloose and can go. You know, I couldn't go on holiday now and come back to two weeks quarantine with children and working in an office and everything else. So there's restrictions in place the more complex your life is, I guess. And if you're this guy who's traveling at the moment is a single lawyer from France, there isn't a quarantine um, situation when he comes home. So it's a slightly different setup. So yeah, and in the last minute, we have another couple from London who can work from home who are going last minute as well. So it's, it's very, I think very different. The, what I would like to see is some people going last minute who can. Obviously, you can't encourage people to go against foreign office advice. There is now insurance to travel against foreign office advice, which helps. Um, you, the next year, we would like to see, obviously, we've got all our postponements for next year, which is making next year very busy already. And then some people are, are planning, and I'm sure some of our guests have almost helped us out by booking a holiday in 2022 to kind of give us a bit of encouragement. And we really have been bowled over by our clients. I would like to say that specifically. They really have helped us through this. And we, um, so 2022 is starting to look quite good as well. So if we can get recovery, if we can reduce our quarantine times, you can get insurance to travel if you're happy to take that insurance. And then if we can get a really good lead through 2021 and recovery in 2022, we will be okay. Africa will be okay. Everyone needs to move together. These camps need to be full using the right camps as well. And so, yeah, there's a bit of both. But at the moment, the encouragement is there are people willing to go. And one guy this morning wrote to us from the Mara and said, I'm so glad I'm here now. It's like safaring in the 1960s. There's no one around. There's the, the sort of huge number of balloons going up isn't happening. And they just said, it's, I feel much safer here than anywhere else. I'm relating to Kenya, not Southern Africa, but it's just where that we happen to have our first guests. And I think people are calling it the new golden age of travel, aren't yeah. they? If you can get away now, it's fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't That's mean great to, to hear. Um, <laughs> and, and Juliet, um, uh, I really would understand maybe uh, and together with our audience, um, 
your your readership. Do you feel that fundamentally they are shifting um, from let's say pre-pandemic uh, to post-pandemic, or have you decided to take on that role of what media should be, which should be about awareness and educating the traveler to choose wisely and and keeping uh, you know a substantial reason as to why you should choose certain destinations. So maybe tell us a little bit about your readership, your audience, and what it is that they're looking for at this stage in terms of travel. And I'd also maybe so, like you to talk a little bit into what's happening in Europe, uh, where um, you've been able to access and what the movement of people is between the UK and Europe. So it's really interesting. So I actually, so I, I, I do obviously contribute to Conde Nast Traveller, and I, but I also, I write for lots of titles and I, I speak on the radio and um, and I think without having actually done market research specifically from Conde Nast Traveller, but I can do an anecdotal sort of feedback. And it's what Alice said, everybody's different. And I think what everybody does want right now, um, and certainly Conde Nast Traveller's Traveller, who, who's got you know, a certain taste, a certain budget, is they still want that inspiration and they're dreaming. And going back to what you said, and this is, this is the, the, the biggest part of it, is that people are spending that time really savoring the planning process. And rather than the hyper travel and the knee jerk, oh, let's go here, you know, for a weekend, if you imagine Condé Nast Traveller readers typically would, would, you know, pop to Italy for a weekend. I think without those, they are exploring on their doorstep. We all know that. Every nation's doing that. I'm in Wales, as I said to you, um, and I'm rediscovering the United Kingdom. I was in Scotland recently. I love it. Um, but they really, and this is speaking to people who I know, use sort of high-end tour operators. They would say, we're really still thinking about where we're traveling next year. We're planning that. And they will go away for longer. They will spend much more, we hope, money on those trips. Um, but they will really think about the details, you know. So it's, in some ways, you know, it's really encouraging. It's not hyper-travel. Um, you did mention, I've got my book out, and I was just going to say to you, I also mentioned about how it's such a QVC home shopping channel moment. Tell us about the green edit. Thank you. Well, it's really just to say, you know, imagine my book comes out today, uh, and it's the, the the biggest publishing day in history of publishing. More books are coming out today in the UK than ever, because they've all been delayed from the pandemic, so everyone's today. I know, so I'm going to be lost. Imagine also trying to sell a book about travel. No, but the point is, it's po it's a post-COVID book, and I think actually we need advice more than ever. So I think what you'll find with with magazine audiences, uh, certainly with with my book, is they really need this advice. They have the time to research it. And what you said about the the psychology behind it, you you know, the chemical actually, the the, the chemicals that you get from anticipation are almost as as big as the joy you have while you're away. Um, I will just say a lot of travel publications have, are, are struggling so much so that some of them have ceased to exist very recently, Sunday Times Travel Magazine. Um, so, you know, how do we all help each other and support each other? We just think about, it's the same as travel. I wish someone would create a scheme where you you sort of invest a little bit every month, like a put money aside to so someone, you know, you know, with your safaris. I would love to just contribute a certain bit every month, know that it's supporting conservation, have a great trip at the end of it. And I, I wish people would come up with more uh, sort of schemes like that, or also be transparent and say to people, look, if you can afford it, support our rangers, the work that we do, rather than dressing it up as gift vouchers and things, just be honest, just say it, it would really help us to keep 
you know, the good work that we do going. Does that make sense? We find that... It makes we... a lot of sense. You know, the, the biggest question I suppose that, that uh, our audience asks is, look, how can we help more? And, and the immediate response to that is that, um, you know, it's not in anyone's interest, not even our, our competitors, to go out of business. We, we need to rally together as a tourism industry and make sure that everybody comes out of this alive. So speaking into what you're saying about uh, other publications and seeing them go out, you know, all these tentacles are out there promoting travel, again, not just in Africa, but around the world. And uh, we need every single bit of marketing and education and awareness out there to make sure that we have a sustainable product going forward. And pretty much uh, Alice's job um, of, of being able to, to rally behind you, we are seeing for the first time more than ever a lot of competitors actually rally together for the sake of travel to make sure that we can all get out of this alive. It's been very encouraging to see how much people are talking a lot more, sharing information, and being able to support each other. And I, I think that is the narrative that actually uh, also contributes to sustainable travel, where um, you know some of the colossal work that needs to be done to support rangers uh, or to support large chunks of land that no longer have any revenue, um, not one organization can carry that on their own. So it's really great to see different people coming together and saying uh, with one voice that we need to take this journey together. Um, and, and on that, um, uh, Alice, uh, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about uh, your interactions with other tour operators in the UK? Are you finding uh, the same that you guys are talking a lot more and, and trying to find ways in which you can address some of the imbalances, maybe some of the uh, policies in place um, around consumer protection, around protection of, of people coming out to travel? What's, what's the word on the street out there? Yeah, without a doubt, I mean, the, the tourism, the African travel industry has always been a very friendly place. And many of us have worked together on the ground in Africa. And then some of us have moved around companies and meet up with each other every so often. But I think I've probably made twice as many competitive friends in the last six months as I have done in the last 22 years. Everyone is willing to talk. Everyone's willing to pick up the phone. Everyone's willing to share experiences, help each other out with insurance problems or wording or uh, every, I mean, we've also been amazed at how many clients have a slightly different set of circumstances with their holiday, whether that's to do with their age or insurance or they can go or they can't go. And there are, we've, we're on a few WhatsApp groups and we've, we've met up and chatted to people as well. And it's been really helpful. And again, we all have to work together. And my business partner, Richard Smith, and I were sharing information about insurance that enables people to go because there's no point in our box sending a couple of people. We all need to be sending people to Africa if we can. And, um, and yeah, the more we all stick together without sounding political about it, but we will get stronger with it if we're all together. And it has been a very cohesive six months without a doubt. There's been um, a lot of friendly faces at the end of a phone or a or a chat so yeah it has been it has been good for, from that side there's a, there's a great word uh called co-ompetition so cooperation and competition yeah. <laughs> authentic sorry co-ompetition yes it is and right in every way um the camps will help you the marketing reps will help you there is nobody out there to um to sting you so it's uh, it's been a very friendly that's a, that's definitely a positive if there is one out of this um experience we've had it is the time to shine for the opportunity yeah, sorry go on for sure and of course i think um, we being a, a tourism industry 
I'm not quite sure that there is there is more of a jovial industry that loves to get together and interact more than our industry, actually the travel industry. So uh, one other than going out into the bush and being on safari, one of the things certainly that we miss as a team is being able to get the people like yourselves in the flesh and interact and just and come up with some uh, innovative ideas as to how we can travel and do things differently. But on that, um, perhaps it's, it's probably wise to talk a little bit about what's happening in our part of the world with our safari camps, also you know, in between these three countries. Um, I'm currently based in, in Cape Town. Uh, I've spent all my time in South Africa during lockdown. And it's really only in the last sort of four to six weeks that things have started opening up even just for local travel within South Africa. And um, today I, I was um, slightly nervous <clears throat> because I was going to uncharted territory in the Karoo. Um, the Karoo is about eight hours drive from Cape Town. And I haven't been to this place before. And um, uh, I'm out in nature, like real nature, for the first time uh, in the last seven months. I drove today into this game reserve. I saw giraffe, I saw sable, I saw water bug. My first bit of wildlife in seven months. I mean, that's unheard of. You know, I trained as a guide, uh, guiding safaris over the last 24 years. And I can honestly say in the last 20 years, this is the longest I've not seen an elephant, um, which is just unimaginable. Um, but with that, um, you know, we've seen South Africa starting to open. You can pretty much travel anywhere around South Africa now. Um, Namibia has just opened its borders, which is very helpful because there's access to Europe uh, through, through that caveat. Um, and by October, um, you know, Zimbabwe has announced that its borders will be open, which is a great start. Um, and so by October, we can see that Zambia, Botswana, and certainly Namibia um, will be back on track. Zambia's borders are currently open, so that's also another entry into our part of the world. Um, so we anticipate that between Botswana, Namibia, Zambia, and Zimbabwe, we will be open by October. Of course, people will ask, well, you know, what is the impact? Is that going to really make the needle shift? Um, probably not to the extent that we would like to, as long as South African borders are closed. We've got the president uh, making an announcement uh, in the next few days about South Africa's position on that. But be as it may, what we are seeing is, is, is the opening up of the borders, which is very encouraging. And if anything, there will be regional travel. Uh, and currently, we, we are also seeing a lot of people that have had this pent-up energy to travel locally, and the local market is very buoyant. We're seeing a huge, big spike where on most weekend, most places around South Africa are fully booked, uh, all through local travel. So it's really a good way that operators have diversified their income stream and not just relying on international. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, this is all happening slowly, and uh, by sort of November, hopefully, we've got the region open. And Bex, you, um, the South African numbers, we are keeping a close eye on um, South African numbers have come down almost as quickly as they went up. And we need from the British side of things to get it down to 20 per 100,000 on a rolling seven day average. And I think South Africa's at 20.7 or something. And so it is getting quite encouraging from our side that South Africa is dealing with its numbers. It's also one of the few African countries that our government trusts the testing um, system in South Africa. Um, so although the numbers are lower in Namibia and Botswana, um, the testing isn't high enough in the population for them to give us some credibility from the Foreign Office. But we are um, going to be leading a bit of a campaign with the Foreign Office to start um, opening up 
Brits able to go to Southern Africa as soon as the numbers come down. But that's another thing that we're working on in the background. So I think it's fairly important from a humanitarian side that people can freely visit from the UK as soon as they're safe to do so. That's really interesting. Can I ask, I'm just thinking, no. uh, in t because I spoke to family in South Africa this week and, you know, I would go and see them, but, but we can't. Um, I'd heard the borders might not open for quite a while, but, you know, people always speculate. Um, what is the sort of cost that you're looking at? So if, imagine somebody in the UK wanted to travel to South Africa uh, or, you know, various safaris and they wanted to do something that was special for a couple of weeks, what is the aviation side of it looking like cost-wise? I know that African bush camps, I'm, I'm often looking at what you're doing. You're doing lots of great offers and incentives. Uh, what, what, what's the sort of cost comparison to usual? Um, From a flight if, perspective. The whole thing, yeah. And flights, last minute at the moment, flights are not too bad. I think they're also not very full. So from a social distancing point of view, when you get on the planes, it's not a problem. I think the operators who are going, the rates are fairly reasonable. We have seen a spike next year around the Lions Tour, that kind of thing. The prices have gone up a bit. Um, but otherwise, safaris, and again, we've tried to have a, a conversation with all the camps and lodges that if the client is happy to go next year, we'll cover any costs. We don't want to penalise people for going next year. It's not their fault, obviously, but we do want to support the camps. We don't want those, the camps penalised either. So... Um, we are trying to keep our costs the same for certainly all ground arrangements. Some things like flights are out of our control, depending on whether they've got a refund or they've rebooked. Um, and 2022, I don't know yet. There might well be some people recovering some costs in 2022, but we'll need to see. But at the moment, the only thing that looks like it could go up next year would be the flights. But the operators on the ground throughout Africa have been incredibly understanding. For next I have another question. You know, uh, I'm, I'm speaking selfishly from our perspective, eager to get to Africa um, and obviously support tourism. What about the other way around? How are UK visitors uh, perceived as? Are we Because we do, it, you know, coronavirus is still very much thriving in the United Kingdom, let's be honest. So I wondered how, it, you know, borders felt in terms of us coming into, into countries and communities? That's a good question, um, Juliet. You know, um, Africans, uh, for African statistics, as you know, we were one of the top five in the world in terms of COVID infection. So, uh, and I joke about this in a, in a way that, you know, we had some of the highest numbers. What are we afraid of, of opening up our borders? I mean, things can't get worse, surely. Um, so what I would say is that you know, the numbers that were supposedly uh, going to uh, affect us or at least reach us in our part of the world, they just haven't translated. In fact, they've been very underwhelming, thank goodness. Um, and on that point, I think everybody is just very eager to welcome people back to Africa to get back to, to an industry which um, we talked about doing better, but to welcome people back into these places. I mean, the lack of revenue on, on tourism hasn't affected livelihoods, but it also affected, of course, our conservation efforts and our ability to have these resources to be able to manage these places. So I can say that, that most people in Africa, if not all, are really eager to have people travel back to our destination, whether from the UK or from the US or from Europe. Um, I don't think that there's a separation there at all. Um, but whilst we talk about these things. I mean, our audience, uh, it's a great question to have. And, and I'd like to ask you both a question of, you know, in these times, what, in your opinion, has been some of the smartest uh, communications that we've been able to get out 
to people during this period of time because in the media you have that responsibility as a top operator promoting Africa. You have that, and and so so do we. What are some? Maybe you can just mention you know one each of what are the smart things in which has really been helpful that the audience, the people wanting to travel to Africa, have embraced. Do you let John go first? <laughs> I can do. Um, for, for me, you know, obviously I'm seeking stories. I, I love Tusk's initiative, the Wildlife Ranger Challenge at the moment, um, and the fact that sort of, you know, just breaking down the cost of, of supporting people who are rangers, actually, so without tourism, and people can make donations. I, you know, I'm really all about helping people understand where our tourist money goes. So now that that's been taken away, how um, breaking down the, the costs that people still need to do good in terms of conservation, very specifically conservation. I just know how, how desperate that is. So I've loved what they've done. That, that's, that's a fundraising initiative. I would say a lot of any, anyone, any tour operators who are talking about specific stories, as I always say, the human stories of, of you know, how that tourism ordinarily helps communities educate health, all of those. Yeah, I, I think from the social media side of um, things has been very educational to see behind the scenes what camps have had to put up with, um, what they've been doing in the absence. I don't know, Bex, if you've seen a, an increase in donations for your foundation during this time? Have you noticed people wanting to reach out and help? We certainly have. And uh, I must tell you that uh, our clients um, and uh, people that have visited our camps um, they've been extremely supportive of the conservation efforts and they've really understood at the core of it that tourism is the principal driver uh, for conservation and uh, increasing and making sure that people's livelihoods are in order. So people have been very, very supportive. I mean, we've even had people that have never been on safari make donations in anticipation. That's amazing. Um, so that's, that's absolutely amazing. But more than that, I think what, what has been embraced is just some of our efforts uh, which could be found on our website, by the way, is priority uh, conservation and community projects, how people have embraced the changes that we're looking to put in place to ensure that, that people actually get it as to what we're about. We're not just a safari and tourism company, but we're a company that, that is an effective custodian of the environment, the wildlife, and the people, and that is what we promote. And there is a cost to that, which... Um, you know, the whole world can be prepared to, to contribute towards because it is something of global significance which benefits the entire world. And, and just seeing the shift around that and how people have embraced that has really been encouraging. And the conversation I have with you is that I, I really hope that the human memory doesn't fail us in time to come. And uh, this is something to go and, uh, and make sure that it's the higher of our conversation. Yeah, I I completely agree. And just hearing you, Bex, that's what we need: is people bringing us all together, share heart and soul, honestly. That's what we've needed, and I'm grateful. And I think most appreciated is this way of it's the language you're using, custodians. Exactly, you know, it's the it's the way you've communicated. Thank you very much, Juliet. Um, so unfortunately, we've run out of time, um, but we welcome uh, any more questions on any of these subjects uh, that we've spoken about. Um, you can follow us uh, on our AfricanBushCamps.com uh, website. Uh, we also have our foundation website, AfricanBushCampsFoundation.org. 
which it does a lot of work around the communities where our camps are located. Uh, and in there, you'll be able to see what the priority projects are that you can elect to support. Otherwise, you can email us, info at AfricanBootCamp.com. And uh, we're pleased to be able to uh, engage with you and uh, let us know what we do from our part of the world, what information we can circulate. But to you, Alice, Juliet, thank you very much for joining thank us uh, on this uh, 10th show. Thanks and so much. And to our audience, thank you very much for your great support. Thank you, Bex. Thank you for your great you. support. We know everybody support. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, and we look forward to interacting with you here on our next one or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Stay strong. Thank you very much and uh, see you next time.